So tonight, go ahead and uh, take your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy. Before we read our uh, the Scripture I want to cover tonight, I want to talk about, uh, try to answer some questions that I've always had, and I know I'm not the only one that's had this question. Um, I imagine all of you, when you've been reading the book of Acts before, you may have asked yourself this question. And I know people ask this because I see a lot of other religions and churches many times uh, getting into some crazy things that they shouldn't. And a lot of it's because they're trying, we, we see many people today, they're trying to recreate what we see happening in the book of Acts. Okay? And have you ever wondered why aren't we seeing 3,000 people saved in one day? You know, why aren't we seeing the miracles? Why is it that we're not healing people? You know, why aren't we doing the things like we saw them doing in the book of Acts? Why is it that when we're in church, if somebody lies, they don't drop dead like Ananias and Sapphira did? You know, why, why don't we see those kind of cool things that they saw back then? I mean, wouldn't we all like to see those things? And it's real easy to go back and read the book of Acts and try to see if we can't recreate what they were doing. Now, don't take this the wrong way. Uh, we've seen this. I've done this. Uh, we've seen many missionaries do this. Well, they, they will come here and they will tell us kind of their plan for going and starting churches somewhere. Uh, we hear church planners do that. And they will base how they're doing things off the book of Acts. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's fine. That's appropriate. But at the same time, we're probably not going to see results exactly like they saw in the book of Acts. And I believe there's some good reasons for that, but many times people they end up getting confused, they start, you know, wondering what's going on because we're not seeing these things happen. And, you know, many times they'll you know they'll read that they'll read the book of Acts, they'll try to figure out, you know, why we're not seeing these things happen like they did then. You know, and you'll hear people, you know, preaching up and say things like, you know, God has the same power today that he did back then. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, does God not have the same power today that He did back then? Absolutely, He does. But what they're saying is, you know, we should be seeing the same things happening today that they did back then. And, you know, while many people try to figure out how to do things the way they did in the book of Acts, the truth is, what we should be doing is doing things the way the Bible told us to do them in the day we're living in now. Because... We are not, I'm going to say something here too that's going to sound bad because it might sound similar to things that you're hearing these days, but this is not the first century. This is the 21st century. And when I say that too, I'm not saying we've got to change with the times. Absolutely not. But we do have to change with the times. Well, what are you talking about? Well, changing with the times, you know, just kind of whatever's going on in the world, that's how you do things. But the truth is, we do see in the book of Acts and in the New Testament a literal change of the times. Now, I don't have time to do this. Uh, I'll probably cover some of this as we go. But you might remember a while back on Wednesday night, we talked about the last days or the last time. And I showed you from the Scripture that the last days are not the days necessarily right before the return of Christ. The last days, or the the last time, is the time of the Gentiles. The time when God would focus, change His focus from the physical nation of Israel to the world, the spiritual nation of Israel. When we see that, and we see that transition take place in the book of Acts. And so the times literally did change in, in the book of Acts. And so, we do have to change with the times, but the times didn't, hasn't changed in the last hundred years. It actually changed 2,000 years ago when we entered into the time of the Gentiles. And when we are reading the book of Acts, at the very beginning when this massive revival took place, when we see all these amazing things happening, they had not transitioned into the last days yet. They were transitioning into it, but they weren't fully in the last days yet. And we don't have time to go through all of it, all of it again. But you can kind of see as you go through the New Testament chronologically how you know they, they warn about the last times. And then like you see John, who is uh, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, who is one of, the later, uh, was one of the later writings of the New Testament Scripture. 
He's like, we're in the last times. And so it was like they knew it was going to come. They were talking about it like it was about to happen. And then later you see him talking like it did happen. They had entered the last times. And so things did change. but And things have changed. They didn't change in the last hundred years. They haven't changed in the last 20 years. They changed 2,000 years ago. So when I say we've got to change, when we're, you know, you're supposed to change with the times, that doesn't mean we're going to see a change in our lifetime. The change already happened a long time ago. And when people many times start to doubt the things that we're doing and wonder if something's wrong, it's because they are comparing what we are seeing with what they saw right after the ascension of Christ. And that was a different time. But we see in the New Testament, they warned about a time that was going to come that they actually entered into that we are in right now. And the way we should operate today is the way they told us to operate in the last times. Because that's what we are in right now. And so, you know, what were some of those things that were different back then? Because one of the things that we hear about, we're going to get to the scripture here in a little bit. All right? I'm saying a lot of my own stuff here right now, but we're going to we're going to get to the scripture. But you know, there were some things that were better back then in the beginning of the book of Acts. Remember how it says there at the beginning they were all with one accord in one place. Who's who is the all? Well, it was all the church. They were all with one accord. They were all in one place. But there's only 120 of them. But boy, at least they were united. And what happened when the whole church was united? Boy, they got filled with the Holy Ghost and there was a revival like we've never seen before. And so what many people do today, well, I want to see that again. And they'll get to look around. It's like, you know what? Why do we have so many churches? Why do we have to have so many churches, many of them that are small and that are struggling? Why can't all the churches just come together and unite? I mean, we don't see you know, the Baptist church and the Methodist church and the Catholic church in the book of Acts. We don't see that. We just see the church. And we just need to be the church and we all just need to come together as churches like they did in the book of Acts. And if we would do that, then we would see a revival like they did in the book of Acts. But the truth is, that's not what we've been called to do. That's not, that is not what we should do right now. We don't need to be uniting with the Catholics and the Methodists and the Pentecostals and even the Southern Baptists and you know, people like that. We do not need to be doing that. We are in a different time now. What is that time? Well, we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But we see also, you know, part of, you know, part of the reason they were united, they didn't have the multiple churches and religions. You know, said, I believe there's a lot of saved people in this area, but a lot of them are involved in some false are false religions. Some of them are, you know, in severely backslidden religions. They are in, you know, compromised religions where they've just gotten involved in things that God does not want his people involved in, and we don't want to do that. You know, a little leaven leaven at the whole lump. Paul warned about that, and we can't bring that stuff into the church. We see back then it was something that was a little better in those days. We see the miracles that took place back then. You know, remember Peter healing the lame man? We even see him, you know, Paul who raised Eutychus from the dead. You know, that was pretty neat seeing that kind of stuff. You know, we see, you know, we see they had apostles back then. It was the apostles that did most of these miracles that we see. And so we've got some religions today, you know what, we we should still have apostles. And there are in some religions apostles. There are people who call themselves apostles. And we don't need apostles. Okay, we, there was twelve of them, and that was all we ever needed. We don't need more apostles. But what are the? Why do they do that? Why do they have apostles? They're trying to pattern the church today, and they're trying to recreate what we see in the Book of Acts at a different time. So I'm sounding terrible by saying that, is that was a different time, but as as this message goes, I think you're going to see that I'm right and what I'm saying is true and is not like, you know, we're seeing, I'm not talking the same way people are today when they use some of those same words that are coming out of my mouth. And so, you know, this clearly though, you know, we're not living in a world today like we did back then. We don't have just one church. You can go to, you know, you can't just go to any town and it's like, hey, where are the Christians at? And everybody knows exactly where that's at. You know, you can't even go to any town today and go to a Baptist church and know you're going to be going to a place into the right kind of place. I mean, 
The first church we visited after we got married was a joke. It was a church that believed or that preached you had to be baptized to go to heaven. A Baptist church. That was one of the first times I ever went to a church that had, you know, one of those praise groups. First time I'd ever seen one of those up on the stage. A bunch of teenagers in choir robes, you know, with one kid in his street clothes. I guess they didn't couldn't get a choir robe for him. And they're trying to get all these old people like dancing to some song, and it just wasn't happening. All right? Those people were way past their dancing days, and it was just it was awful. It was it was a horrible service. And then they they did all that contemporary music, and then at the end of the service they sang the Haven of Rest. Well, that's a good song. Well, not when they sang it. They sang that song so slow. We still had a long way to travel. We were ready to go. I was already, you know, angry at what I had heard from the message. And I'm just sitting there stewing, and I didn't want to be rude and walk out. And they started singing the Haven of Rest. There's five verses. They sang all five verses. And when they finally got done with the last verse, I'm like, oh, thank you, they're done. And then the pastor's like, let's sing that last verse again. And then, and then five minutes later, they finished that last. It was, it was a nightmare. It was terrible. And that was a Baptist church. Uh, and so you don't know. You don't, you know, you can't just say that these days. The church, and churches, I mean, they have been very corrupted. A lot of them have gone full-fledged into apostasy, full of lost people, false prophets, you know, preaching from behind the pulpits. And so, it's impossible. This is, this is a different time. It wasn't like that back then. They, didn't, they did not have that. You know, we, we got churches all over the place. Baptists aren't united. We're not seeing the miracles performed. The apostles are all dead and gone. All those miracles we saw, it was something we see with the apostles doing. We're not seeing those type of things today. And those miracles they did, I'm not gonna, I don't have time to preach on this, but one of the reasons God gave them the ability to do those miracles was so people would know they were telling the truth. They didn't have the Word of God yet. The apostle Paul didn't go around carrying a Bible with them. They didn't have Bibles all over the place like we do today. They were in the process of of writing the Scripture and penning those things down. It was not completed yet. And so God, you know, He performed miracles. He gave them uh, what we call the sign gifts, you know, like the gift of speaking in tongues that doesn't even resemble what goes on in churches today. It was a completely different thing. And it's something that I, those things I believe ceased with the apostles. Why? Why would He do that? Because now we have the completed Scriptures. We are in a different time than they were then. And so... Things are not going to happen exactly the way they did in the book of Acts. And some preacher gets up, you know, we should be doing things exactly like they did in the book of Acts, okay? Well, then if you're doing things, if you are, if you're doing those things exactly like they did in the book of Acts, then I want to see you do a miracle. Show me what you got. No, yeah, you know, what did Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. But then he was able to heal that guy. And then you got a lot of these preachers, silver and gold, they've got a ton. But they can't do any miracles. They're complete. They say they're like the Book of Acts, but they're the complete opposite. They're loaded. They're filthy with money, and they can't do a miracle to save their life. And so, you know, don't listen to those people when they act like they are still doing things like they did in the beginning of Acts. It's not. It's completely different. We're not supposed to do that. We are in a different time. And so, the solution for many people that are just trying to re- recreate what was done back then. They're calling for religions to unite. They'll have their ecumenical services. They'll even bring in miracle workers sometimes. They have those guys come in. Some religions have apostles. You know, they try, let's structure things the way they did back in the church. You know, let's just, let's try to do that. And while we can learn from these things we see in the book of Acts, we've got to understand that we literally are living in a different age. Okay? Not necessarily different than what we see in some of the epistles, but clearly in a different age than what we see in the beginning of the book of Acts. In the beginning of the book of Acts, the church was still focused you know, in Israel to the Jews. And it wasn't until some years later when they started going to the Gentiles. And even then, it took a while, it was like it took a while before the apostles realized, hey, you know, the Word of God has been fulfilled. The prophets prophesied about this in the Old Testament. We are in the time of the Gentiles. Sure enough, we are in the last days. The last days, what are those? Not the days before, right before the coming of Christ, but the days when God was going to go to the Gentiles. And that just happens to be the time 
when Jesus Christ is going to return. But, you know, here we are 2,000 years later. Why? Because the last days is not a sign that Jesus is about to return. It was, a, it was proof that He's gone to the Gentiles now, like the Old Testament prophesied. And I'm not going to preach that message again, but trust me, that's what it means. And if you have more questions about that, uh, I, I can prove it to you scripturally. But anyway, so, you know, we, we can't just pattern what we do today the way they did in the book of Acts. We need to operate the way we were told to operate in the last days. That's what we've got to do. And so, you know, the last days, that is the time of the Gentiles. The last days are not about the day of the Lord, which is when Jesus Christ returns, but it is about the time of the Gentiles, and we are there. The Old Testament prophets prophesied about the time of the Gentiles, but they didn't understand it. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, uh, go ahead and turn over there. I'll read this one Scripture to you about the last, uh, about the last days. But if you read all of First Peter, it's a lot more clear this is what he's talking about. We're not going to take time to do that. He says in verse 5, he mentions, "...who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time." And then in verse 9, he says, "...receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you." Who's you? He's talking about Gentiles here. And that's clear through the context of the Scriptures. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the Gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. The Gospel going to the Gentiles was a major, major fulfillment of prophecy. And it was prophesied that it would happen in the last time or the last days, the time of the Gentiles, whatever you want to call it, that's what we're in. And so the first, that first generation of Christians... That first generation, they saw an amazing thing take place like never before. You know, but they saw you know, the Gospel going to the Gentiles. A move of God amongst the Gentiles. But you know what? You know, the, you know, they, and they, they saw amazing things happen with the miracles that they saw. With the speaking in tongues. With the miracles that were performed. They saw amazing things happen. But you know what? Something changed. And you know what? That change, it began to take place before the apostles died. They saw the change themselves. And they warned us that you know this change was going to come. And they saw it in their lifetimes. You know what? A lot of older preachers, if you were to get a lot of older an older if you were to get an older preacher in here, he could probably get up here and you know talk to you about the things that he warned people about, you know, 40, 50 years ago. I remember hearing my dad say that there would probably be a day when they'd let men marry men and women marry women. And I remember hearing some of that stuff and thinking, eh, I don't know if it'll ever get that bad. You know, we're here. We're living in that day. And it, it happened. I mean, there's a lot of things like that, you know, that are going on in churches. You'd hear some of the preachers, you know, one of these days, they're going to be playing rock and roll music in the church. Well, and people thought, no, it'll never get that bad. Well, it's that bad now. In fact, it's very common. You know, all the things we're seeing, preachers were warning about that years and years ago, and they saw it. And the apostles, they warned about some things that were going to happen in the church in the last days, and they saw those things come to pass in their lifetime. Something that they knew was coming. Something that they warned about. And the truth is, now we know we are in the last days. That transition has happened. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years and we are, need to run our church the way they were told to run it in the last days. And so, we'll go to the Scriptures now. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 1... Or no, that's First uh, Timothy I'm at. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Sometimes we do. We use this verse and we try to say, all right, let's watch for the perilous times when all these things happen. 
This is already happening, folks. And it's been happening for a long time. Okay, All this stuff has been fulfilled. Why has it been fulfilled? Not, this does not mean that Jesus must be just about to return because look at all these things that have happened. So we've got to be in the last time. This happened in their day. Peter and Paul and John, they saw these things happen in their day. And it's still going on today. Why? Because we're still in the same time. The times haven't changed since John, or when Paul wrote this. We are still in the same time. We're in the same time that they were, you could say, in the second century. The times haven't changed since then. And the times haven't changed since the 1900s. And now we're in the 2000s. The times have not changed from that. And so, we shouldn't be different today than we were in the 1900s or the 1800s and so on. But things should be a little different than they were at the beginning of the book of Acts. Because we entered a new time. And they warned that that time was coming that they saw in their lifetime when perilous times would come and men shall be lovers of their own selves. For men, uh, They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce fakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. You say, that's really bad stuff. That didn't happen in their time. Well, we see... In Revelation, when John's writing to one of the churches, he says, you know, you suffer that woman Jezebel to teach. Well, that sounds pretty bad. I mean, when you look at what John says about some of those churches in Revelation, I mean, it was pretty, it, it looks like John had entered the last days. There were some pretty wicked things going on in the churches in their days. In the first century, some, all this stuff happened, and we see that bad people infiltrated the church. And didn't Paul warn about that? We see in the book of Acts you know how he warned the people with tears, warning them about the false prophets that were going to come. He told them, man, these people, they're going to come. They're going to try to lead you captive. We see constant warnings in the New Testament about bad people coming and infiltrating the church. And so when we look today and we're like, you know, why doesn't the church see the things that it did back then? It's because there's a lot of bad people in the church. There's a lot of leaven in the church. You say, you talk about right here in our building today? No, I'm not saying that necessarily, but amongst all the churches, amongst all the, all the Christians, amongst those who are saved, we're seeing a lot of bad people. Well, that's why you know, it's got to be Baptist. Baptist is the only church. Baptist is the only true church. But even in Baptist churches, it's like that. A lot of false doctrine, a lot of heresy in Baptist churches. How did that happen? Because the Bible said it was going to, it was going to happen. That these type of people, bad guys, were going to infiltrate the church. People who are lovers of their own selves. You know, these self-promoters. You know, these showy people that just love the attention, that just love the praise of man, that just love the money, that love all those things. And we're seeing it today. And so you know what? It's it makes it it makes it tough trying to be a witness, trying to have the right kind of the right kind of testimony. That we ought to have. Um, you know, we see that churches. Uh, look at verse four. It says, "Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God." What, that reminds me of Revelation, the church in Ephesus. They were a good church as far as all the outward things were concerned, but you know what? They left their first love, and God told them to repent and do the first works. You love me first. That is the first commandment. That is the most important commandment. It's more important we ought, that we love God more important than we're using the right kind of music and that we dress right and do all the outward things the right way. It is more important that we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we forget that, who cares about everything else we're doing? We've got to love God. If we, and so, we see the church has left their first love. They warned that was going to happen. We see it became more about an institution than God. Verse 5 says, "...having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away." There's a form of godliness. When you look at, the, it's like when you look at these people, they're going to look godly. They're going to look the part. They've got their act together. Everything on the surface appears right. There's a form of godliness, but there's no power there. And you know it's amazing today. 
and a lot of this is in Baptist churches. A lot of your big name, big money Baptist churches, I mean, the preachers there anymore are scared to death to preach against sin. They're a bunch of pansies. They've got so much money in their church. They've got so much, you know, a lot of them are just so deeply in debt, they are terrified of running off the big givers in their church. A lot of the churches today, you know, since the internet and since YouTube and Facebook and all those things and stuff going viral and making people look bad and, you know, getting bad light shine on in news media, it has changed churches so much. Churches have changed so much in the last 10 years, even just among Baptists. I mean, they are scared to death. It is amazing how just terrified your average Baptist is of homosexuals. Scared to death to preach against homosexuals. Why? They're terrified of something going viral on the internet. They're terrified of offending some grandma in the church that's got a queer grandson that she just loves dearly. And grandma, that grandma gives a lot of money in the church. And so, I can't say anything. And we've got all these churches now. They're trying to find loopholes and things in the Bible so we can figure out how to just love on them and bring them into our churches. And we, when they had the Orlando shooting, you know, churches just fall all over themselves. Oh, pray for Orlando. This is our opportunity to show that we don't hate the weirdos and that we don't hate the sodomites. And, you know, let's just, let's all pray for them and love on them because, you know, we're scared to death of them. And that's, that's sad. That, and that has changed greatly in the last few years. And honestly, it makes me sick. I'm disgusted by it. I'm embarrassed by it. I mean, I am embarrassed by a lot of Baptists today. Especially the big names. I'm terrified of being associated with them because they're cowards. They're scared. You know, they've got a form of godliness, but there's no power. And let me tell you, when you are scared to preach against sodomites, we are in a bad place. When you can't even preach against that. I mean, your church is so wicked and so carnal that it can't handle hearing preaching against homosexuality. That used to be the one thing that would make the church go crazy. Because nobody had that problem in the church. Don't we love it when the preacher preaches against a sin that we don't have a problem with? You know, we all get real quiet when he gets on one of our sins. But boy, when he's talking about somebody else's sin, we all go crazy, right? And homosexuality, that was always an automatic amen getter because nobody had that problem in the church. But now, you know, everybody watches so much TV, sometimes you wonder if, you know, I don't know, maybe some of these people in the church are leaning that way a little bit. Or it's because, you know, they've done such a good job recruiting, you know, everybody's got a family member. But you know what? I've had family members go to prison. But I'm not, I don't get all offended when some preacher gets up and preaches against stealing or something like that, or things that get people thrown in prison. Why do we get so offended when they get on the homosexuality? You know why? Because we have been intimidated. We have gotten spooked by the news media, by the internet. And Paul warned that kind of thing was going to happen. And you know what? Thank God there's still some people out there that you know they preach with some boldness, they preach with some power, and they're not ashamed to call out that stuff and they don't care. And you know what? That's how I want to be. I'll call it out and I don't care. You know why? Because I'm living in the last days and I'm going to do like the Bible said. And it warned us about these things and we don't want to have just a form of godliness and be denying the power of God. Listen, we see guys in the back in those days getting thrown into prison, didn't they? When God was doing all those miracles, I mean, think about it. People are trying to pattern their churches off what we see in the beginning of the book of Acts, but we see guys being killed, stoned, thrown into prison. And you got all, all these people that are trying to recreate that. None of them are getting thrown into prison. Nobody's going after them. Why? Because they're just preaching all this lovey dovey, huggy stuff. And, I mean, they're, they're not preaching against sin. They're not calling the leaders out. You know what got those, you know what got guys like Jesus and John the Baptist and the apostles in trouble? Is many times when they would get brought before leaders, they would call out their sin. Well, you know what preachers do today with the leaders in their communities? They bring them into their church and they honor them. They give them plaques and things. 
these guys, a lot of these guys aren't even Christians. And they bring them into their church. We just want to honor the mayor for being a public servant. And you know, the truth is, we're just giving him this award because we're scared to death of him. We're scared to death that these officials might, you know, try to, you know, run us out of town. We're just going to show them that we love them and that we love our community. And you know, let us kiss your feet. And you know, while we just, you know, beg you not to ever do anything to harm us. We're back in the Bible days. They called those guys out. You know, they Herod, or John the Baptist to Herod called out Herod for having his brother's wife, and that got his head cut off. Well, let me tell you something. I'd rather get my head cut off than, like a sniveling coward, you know, bring in some lost public official just so I can act like I'm a big shot because I got this, you know, big name senator, mayor, whatever visiting my church. Let me tell you, these politicians will go to any church that's going to honor them. Why wouldn't they do that? All they're doing is trying to get votes. And if I go and I bring in, you know, some politician in here, he's going to know, man, if that preacher honors me, if he gets up there and he tells that church how great I am, all those people are going to vote for me. And so why wouldn't they do that? You know, they are and it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And churches today, I mean, they look so weak. And they are weak. And they're not making a difference. And it's sad. And it's embarrassing. And we see that, you know, they've got a form of godliness. Boy, they look nice. They sound nice. It sounds so good, all the things they're saying. But no power. Weak. Just buckling to the enemy. Giving to the enemy. Not calling the enemy out. But rewarding them. I mean, how how cowardly can you be? But that's churches today. Verse 6, it says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. We see the bad people that come in, they started leading people astray. Why do we have all the goofy things that we do in churches today? Why is it that you know you go into your average church on a Sunday, you're going to hear rock music. You're going to hear from perverted versions of the Bible. You know why? Because people came in and they've led captive people. Led captive. Silly women. Why does it mention the silly women? Uh, Why does it mention the men? You know, a lot of these churches are run by men. A lot of what's going on in churches, you go to the average church around here and you know who's running most things in the church? It's women. And you know what? I'm not saying this against these women. You know, I, when I go into a church and I see the I see this run by women, I don't look at those women and think, "Why those you know men wannabes?" You know, I I say, "What's with all the pansy men around here?" You know, at least they're willing to step in and do something when nobody's doing anything. But to me, that doesn't make the women look bad. It makes the men look bad, and it's sad. And thing is, the, God wanted men to lead. Why? I'm sorry, ladies, but according to the Bible, we see women are easier, led astray easier. Who did the serpent go after in the Garden of Eden? Who did he go after? Did he go after the man or the woman? He didn't even go after the man. Say, well, that's just one example. Well, you know what? We learn in the Bible that because of that, God put the man over the woman. Why? Why does the man have to be the head? It flat out says in the New Testament, because... The man was not deceived. It was the woman. And that is why God put men in leadership. I know that's not politically correct either, but that's biblical. And so, you know, we've got, you know, men, if our wives get led captive by false prophets, it's not because they're bad women. It's because we're weak, sorry husbands. And we deserve the blame for that. The Bible said that was going to happen. You know, the results of bad people leading others astray. You know, almost everywhere we go now, the name of Christ has been run through the mud. I mean, just look at, you know, you know, you talk to most people today. You go out soul winning. You go anywhere. People, they all have heard about Jesus. I mean, especially in America, everyone has heard about Jesus. But everybody's got a different opinion, don't they? And it's usually wrong, isn't it? What most people think about Jesus is usually wrong. You know, if people see a statue of some long-haired, effeminate hippie, what do they usually... There's Jesus. 
That's what he looks like. You to call out some guy. Hey, nature itself teaches it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Jesus had long hair. Where did they get that from? They didn't get that. They didn't get that from the Bible. They got that. You know, they got that from some painting, some picture, some Catholic statue that they saw. That's where they got those things. And one of the reasons it is so hard everywhere we go today, anywhere in the world, you know, the name of Christ been run through the mud. If we go, it's like, all right, you know what? We're going to try to send a missionary to some country. There's already the Mormons have already been there. The Jehovah's Witnesses have already been there. The Catholics have probably already been there. I mean, pretty much anywhere you go in the world, and you you know missionaries. I mean, thank God we still got good Baptist missionaries trying to get to other parts of the world. But almost everywhere they go, false religions have already been there. And many times they'll go to these places and they try to tell them about Jesus. Oh yeah, we know about Jesus, but they don't know about Jesus. They've heard the false gospel. They've heard from the false prophets and imagine what it would have been like back then to be able to go to a town and preach about Jesus to people who had never, ever heard about Him before. Whose minds weren't corrupted. Who hadn't already been deceived. And let me, you know, Sadly, we are, we're way too slow getting the Gospel places. Some of these countries that are still closed to the Gospel, if they open up tomorrow... I mean, it's going to, most Baptists, it's going to take them a few years before they can get out there. Where the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll get them out there immediately. And then by the time we get there, oh yeah, yeah, we heard about Jesus. We learned about him a couple years ago. They learned about him from some Mormon or some other cult. And so it is. It's different today. We're not going to see revivals always break. We might, but most of the time we're not going to see revivals break out in some of these places that we go to because... Somebody, the false prophets and deceivers have already been there. Many of the places that we go, that missionaries go to, are places where the gospel has already, it's already been there. There have been massive revivals, and then, you know, they went into apostasy. I mean, think about England. England used to be full of the gospel. Many of the European countries used to be filled with the Gospel. I mean, used to be filled with saved people. People in England used to send missionaries to places like, like America. But something happened, didn't it? Apostasy set in. And now, Europe is a dark, dark place. A wicked place. And so now, if a missionary tries going back to some place like England today, it is very, very difficult. Why? Because the gospel's already been there and it had been received, but then another generation came along and they flushed it down the toilet. They've already rejected it. And in the meantime, they've still got their Catholic churches there, their Episcopalian churches, all their Protestant churches there that have run the name of Christ through the mud. You know, I'm getting tired of hearing these wimpy Baptists too. You know, calling out the fundamental Baptists that are preaching against sin. Oh, they're they're bringing a reproach on the name of Christ by you know talking like that and saying those things. They're making Jesus Christ look bad by preaching so hard against sin. No, you the coward are making Jesus look bad. You're making him look like you know he's unholy. You're making him look like he's a wimp. You're making him look like you know he's something that the Bible does not portray him as. You know what they're you know what a lot of these trendy churches are making Jesus look like? They're making him look like the Jesus that we see on all the Jesus movies. You know, soft, feminine. What did Jesus say? Remember when he talked about John the Baptist? What went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? You know, those who dress like that, they live in kings' houses. Jesus talked about those soft guys. He's talking about some of those soft, effeminate people that live in kings' houses. Real men don't live out in the wilderness and wear camel's hair and leather and eat locusts and wild honey. And let me tell you, Jesus wasn't a soft man either. He was a carpenter. He was a man. Back in the day when men were rugged, when they were strong, when the only ones who were soft and effeminate were people living in kings' houses. Why were they the soft and effeminate ones? Because they didn't have to do any work. We see today we've got a bunch of soft, effeminate guys. We got all these millennials that you know they live in their parents' houses till they're thirty and never do anything except go to college for years and years and years, and they're weak. They've never worked you know hard, strenuous job in their life, and they're soft. They're effeminate, and then a lot of these guys too. You know, 
I'm sick of seeing these guys too. You know, they go into Bible college, and boy, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit here, but they come out of Bible college literally doughboys. I mean, so out of shape, so weak, and it's like you are in your early 20s. You don't have old age and a wife that cooks really good as an excuse for that kind of thing. You know, you're, you're 22. Why are you like this already? And they're just, they're soft. They're lazy. And I mean, my wife could beat them up. And, and we send these guys out to go start churches. And we wonder why they turn into these queer little trendies that don't want to preach against anything. You know why? Because they're scared of people. Because they know that grandma that they might offend in the church could beat them up too. And they're scared to death of that. Just no backbone. No spine. And the Bible warned us about this. The apostles, they warned us this was going to come. And it happened in their day. And so it is It is hard today. Wherever we go, you know, it's hard to go anywhere where the Gospel has never been. Okay, it's been in these places and they rejected it. And you know what? God's going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon you know, children and to the third and fourth generation. And these countries, many of them, they've sealed their own fate. Thank God for missionaries who are going to go there and try to reach a remnant that are going to try to find those faithful few. But you know what? Most of them are, not, are probably never going to build churches of thousands like we read about in earlier history. They're not going to see that. They're not going to go out and win 3,000 people in one day. Some guy today says, you know what, I'm going to go be a missionary in Israel. I guarantee you he's not going to, he's not going to reach 3,000 people in one day like they did on Pentecost. He can go out there. I can do that. I can plan a mission trip. I'm going to go over to Israel. I'm going to go out there outside the uh, eastern gate. I'm going to stand there on the steps where Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And I'm going to preach and we're going to get 3,000 people saved. No, we're not. You know why? Because the false religion has infiltrated that place like never before. The people there rejected the gospel. They went ahead, you know, the curse be on us and on our children. And they had their chance. And you might reach a remnant. We're not, I'm not probably going to reach 3,000, but I can go try to reach those three. You'll get some people saved when you go to those places. But never probably the large amounts like we see in the book of Acts. So what do we need to do? You know, what, what do we need to do today? And we need to remember, not necessarily everything they did in the book of Acts. That's not, we don't want to necessarily do everything they did in the book of Acts, but what the apostles taught us to do in the last days. They told us what to do. And we see in verse 8 of chapter 3, it says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. You know, a lot of these false prophets that are around here, they would be, they would be better off, it would be better off for Christianity if they would close their doors and just say what they are, were phonies, were fakes, and they would just drop out of Christianity completely. They are reprobate concerning the faith. Worthless. Good for nothing. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also. You know what we need to do? We need to call out the false prophets that are working against the truth. We're gonna do that. Oh, well, you know, you can talk in general, but don't name names. No, I'm going to name names. Catholics. Alright, what's the name of the Catholic church here in town? Forgot it. they got the Divine Mercy Chapel or something. Sacred Heart. Yeah, in Rock Falls. Yeah, Sacred Heart Catholic Church. I'm going to call them out. I'm going to name them. Go on their website. Look at their statement of faith. And on the Ten Commandments, they left out, uh, thou shalt not uh, make unto thee any graven image. They left it out. And the Ten Commandments. So they have nine commandments? No, they don't have nine. They have ten. They put thou shalt not covet on there twice. But they put thou shalt not covet, and then they, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Or one, you know, they took two different things that it mentioned, and they made thou shalt not covet two commandments. Why? Because they couldn't put thou shalt not make any graven images, because they got graven images all over the place there. And you know what? That's wrong. We're gonna call it out. You know, and it's fake, it's phony, and we're going to do it. We're going to call out the false prophets. We're going to tell people the truth. You know, we're not going to be mean, not going to be ignorant. We're going to tell the truth. Something that blatant, something that wicked. 
going to call it out. Be faithful to the Word of God. Verse 10 says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. You know my doctrine. You know what I taught. We know what the Apostle Paul taught. And I believe what we're seeing in, in your average fundamental Baptist church today is most of these churches are patterning their church off of what they see in the epistles of Paul. In his writings, following his doctrine. So, and once again, nothing wrong with learning, establishing some principles for things we see in the book of Acts, but we're probably never going to see the results like they saw in the book of Acts. We are in a different time, literally, and so we're going to follow their doctrine. We're going to follow the Word of God. How do we know their doctrine? It's in the Bible. They wrote this. Okay, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and so we're going to keep following the Bible. We're not going to go get some new book that some guy wrote. You know, how to start a church in today's age. Well, if he means the time of the Gentiles, which started 2,000 years ago, I'm in. If he's saying in this age, meaning in the 21st century, then he can go jump in a lake. I'm not reading that book. I could care less about that book. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need that at all. We need to deal with the persecution. Verse 11, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. He had persecution everywhere he went. I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The thing people are scared of, the things that preachers are cowering to the point that they are bringing wicked men into their churches and honoring them with plaques and gifts and things, these guys, they're doing that to avoid persecution, which the Bible says, endure it. Put up with it. Deal with it. Fight it. He didn't say avoid it. Run from it. You know, cower, lay in a fetal position, like people are doing today. No, he said endure it. You take it. We're going to, so we're going to deal. We're going to deal with persecution. Continue with what Christians have been doing for nearly 2,000 years. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what what about you know things clearly are worse today than they were in Paul's day. So that that's got to put us in a different time, right? No. We're in the same time that they were back then, but we are at the point, like he said, where when we go into the last times, all these things we see is going to get worse and worse. So yes. Things today are worse than they were in Paul's day, and so you know that yeah that that is something that we are seeing. It's getting worse and worse. My kids were watching a game show. A guy that was a queer on there got the answer wrong. It was a Bible question. He got it wrong, and at the end he was saying, "I should have known that because my husband's an ordained minister." <coughs> Irked me so bad. You know, my. I mean, the fact that that can just you, that we even hear that type of thing, and it, and they're not joking; they're serious. What a crying shame! Why not, they wouldn't have seen that a hundred years ago? Paul didn't see that in his day. Okay, but at the same time, it's not a different day. It's just it has it's gotten worse and worse. Like he said, it's the same thing. But at a worse level, and just and so, evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What did he say? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture. Old and New Testament. It's all good. It's all given by inspiration. It's all profitable. We're going to use it all. The stuff that people don't like, the stuff, you know, stuff people do like. We're going to, we're going to use all of it until Jesus comes. And so, you know, the temptation to go in the wrong direction or try something new, it was clearly going on in the days of Paul, and he said it was only going to get worse. And so we can't let the as we you know, as things are getting worse, we can't we gotta make we don't want to make the mistake of acting like we have entered into a new time or a new era. No. 
the next time is going to begin at the day of the Lord. Okay? When Jesus Christ returns. And so until then, we're living in the same days, but it is getting it is getting worse. And that's why is this happening? Well, why wouldn't it happen? Didn't the Bible say it would happen? And so well, we've got to stand stronger than ever. We should be more committed than ever to keep on keeping on. Thank God that there were some people, you know, in the nineteen hundreds that stayed faithful. There were some preachers that stayed strong and that took some stands and wouldn't budge and they passed some things down to us and it was hard for them. Well, guess what? It's going to be even harder for us. But you know what? They did it and we've got to do it too. And if the Lord tarries has come, the next generation, my kids, they're going to have to make some stands. I don't even want to guess and speculate on the stands that they're going to have to take in the Baptist church. I mean, we might see that in Fundamental Baptist Church where they start ordaining homos. I can't imagine that, but you know what? I'm not going to rule anything out. Not with what I'm seeing. With what I have seen in the last year in Fundamental Baptist Churches, I'm not ruling anything out. I want to be ready. I'm ready for anything. Because it's gotten that bad. And the Bible said it would. So when you read you know, the book of Acts, when you see these churches, let's just all come together. In the book of Acts, they didn't have all those different churches. We... We're in a different time. We are in a day when the church, much of the church has gone into apostasy. It's been corrupted. The name of Christ has been run through the mud. We are in the last days. And therefore, we've got to make sure we stay stronger than ever. As a, as a group of God's people, we've got to keep the leaven out of the church. We're not going to go and find another church out there that's maybe struggling a little bit, that's maybe not quite where we are. But you know what? Let's go merge our churches together. Let's all become one church because then we'll be stronger. No, if it's if it's full of false doctrine and if it's full of false prophets, we will weaken our church by doing that. The Bible says purge out the leaven. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little bad makes all the good bad. It doesn't say a little good makes all the bad good. We don't have the ability to do that. We've got to purge out the leaven. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to stay faithful. We're going to keep on doing what we're doing until Jesus Christ returns. So with that, let's all stand together.